0: The How to Study the Bible podcast is brought to you by BibleStudyTools.com and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit LifeAudio.com.
1: Many times what I find that I have to repent from is not necessarily the big things that we think of as like those big sins out there, But what I'm actually repenting of is just a a wholehearted lack of trust in who God is, a a choice to not be joyful in what God's given. I mean, those are also sin because I'm not living into the fullness of what God's calling me to do. I'm not following my leader, Jesus, the way that he lived his life. Thanks for joining us on How to Study the Bible. I am Nicole Eunice, your host, your coach. Your teacher as we together endeavor to believe in the reality that God desires to speak to us through His Word. That's the work we're doing together. We spent the last several episodes building this framework of the Alive Method, the four questions that we can always ask of any passage of Scripture, and today we're actually going to put it all together. This is a working session, my friends, so sharpen your pencils. Let's experience God together. Okay, so we're going to turn on our minds to receive God's word. We're going to open our hearts to receive his love. And we are going to go out into our lives as people of passion, purpose, and peace. And we're going to do that by looking at just four verses together from Psalm 16. So we're going to put together with these questions in about... 10 or 12 minutes, what can God do with our perspective? What can God do in our attitude in just one little section of scripture? So I'm going to read it to you if you want to listen up. And remember, we're on question one at first, and the question we're asking is, what does this say? What am I noticing about this passage? What are the little words that matter? What are some of the things that might repeat? And how do I understand it if I was going to repeat it in my own words? So here we go. I'm taking the middle passage, Psalm 16, verses 4 through 8. "'Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance.'" I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So this chapter is one of my favorites in all of Scripture, and it's really full. And so actually, this is one of the places where for me in a 15-minute quiet time, if I'm going to spend time working through the Alive Method, I'm only going to take a little portion of it. I'm not even going to take the whole chapter. Now, maybe I will have skimmed the whole chapter first, perhaps looked in my study Bible to get just a read on if there's a study note about that chapter that I want to kind of take into my mind. I'll do a little bit of that for the first couple minutes, but then I'm just looking at the passage, and I'm noticing what is there in Scripture. What does it really say? What's happening here? Something that I notice right away is that this is obviously a very personal um, expression from the person who wrote the psalm, who's David, to God, because it says my and me so many times. My portion, my cup, my lot secure. Are you counting with me? Me. And then it says I, I, me, me. My heart, me, my eyes, my right hand, I. So I think I got 12, 12 different times that David says I or me. So what can we take from that just here in step one? Okay, this is personal. This is a personal expression from one person to God. So we're going to ask ourselves, okay, does this apply to me? I mean, I'm jumping ahead, right? You're wondering, does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? But you want to work through the method in order so that you can make sure you understand at the time it was written, what did this mean? So we're asking the question, what's the backstory? And maybe along the way, as I've noticed that this is a personal psalm, I've also underlined or took note of a couple of things that I might want to know more about. Now, there can be... a um, hundred things that you might want to know more about in this psalm. But for the purposes of our time together, and really for the purposes of your time, if you're not in that 9% that I talked about a few episodes ago, who loves to just dig in, if you're a person who's like, man, I'm showing up for God every day, but I've carved out this 15 minutes in the morning and I want to be faithful to it, then we're going to we're gonna move a little quicker. We're going to find a couple of things maybe this time around that we're going to look to and we're going to look for and try to understand. And one of those things that stuck out to me this time around was I wondered about this idea that God is my portion and my cup. Because of course, my cup is not something that we say in modern language. So I wonder, huh, what did that mean at the time? What does it mean to be my cup? And so I looked to my study notes and In my study notes, there's some cross-references, some other places that I can look, and it actually says that a cup in that context could be a cup of blessing, it could be a cup of salvation, that these are different ceremonial cups within the Jewish faith, there can be a cup of wrath, and then I remember, because again, I'm thinking ahead, like, I think Jesus talks about a cup when he institutes communion, and so maybe I'll look to my cross-references or look in my concordance to, to figure out that that moment when Jesus actually said to his disciples, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to figure all that stuff out, but I'm just making a mental note or maybe even really some physical notes in my my journal or in my Bible, and I'm thinking about this idea of my cup, and I want to now interpret it within the rest of the passage, kind of what seems to be happening here. Well, my cup is linked with my portion and being secure and pleasant things and delightful things, so I'm probably guessing maybe this is about a cup of blood. Blessing that this is what this idea is about is that God has set up for me a cup of blessing in my life, and I go on and look at my study notes a little bit more, and I realize you know it says that this particular part of the passage is really a prayer of trust and of security. So again, I'm taking note of that. Okay, trust, security. It's interesting about a cup. Maybe I notice one more thing, and for me, the thing that I notice is this idea of God at my right hand in verse eight. So I look to my cross references, and I noticed that in Psalm 110, right down the right down the road from this psalm, it says that when the, the idea of the right hand is considered a place of honor, that you're given a place of honor. And it's interesting that all through the psalms around this time, David sometimes says that God is at his right hand, but he also says that he's at the right hand of God, that there's this, this partnership, this interchange of when I'm in the place of honor, when God is in the place of honor, and maybe for the time that I have, I'm like, okay, place of honor, whether it's, whether it's God at that place or me and, and, and who is God that he would humble himself to say that he's at my right hand, like as if I'm in charge. But that's what David says in this psalm. So I noticed that. I'm like, it's David doesn't say that he's at God's right hand. He says that God's at my, my right hand and that I won't be shaken because God is with me. So I take all of that in and I'm looking at that and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, this is a psalm of trust. And I've got lots of questions about what David might have meant when he wrote this the first time. It says in scripture in my study notes that these personal psalms, Psalms are Psalms where David maybe perhaps felt like he was in danger and that this is a way maybe of building trust to remind myself of the truth of these things. In verse six, it says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And my my notes tell me that obviously that um, the Israelites were given an inheritance and they were given actually a place when God took them out of Egypt, brought them to the promised land. They were given an inheritance. They were given a line, a place to involve and be in. And I ask myself the question, how does this apply to my life? What's the principle at play? So after I've gathered some of my backstory, and I could do that for a while. I could stay in backstory for quite a while. Um, I could come back to this psalm at another time. I probably would have different questions. So at some point I have to decide for the time that I have, that's all that I can look into. I've got a couple of little treasures from these four verses, and now I'm going to move to question three. And when I get to question three, I'm asking, okay, what does this mean? And this is where I might feel a little bit unsure because I didn't get to do all the research that I wanted to do. I don't understand everything that's being said, but I need to trust what I'm reading. Trust what I'm reading to say, okay, this is a really positive psalm about how David can experience God. So so what might this be teaching me about who God is? And I might write a principle, a theory, something like God is trustworthy, And he makes his people's way secure." And I'm going to write that, and I'm going to look at it and say, do I think that that's true? And I'm going to run through those five filters, that method of investigation. I'm going to ask myself, is this reflected in the text? Does it say here in this passage that God is trustworthy and that he makes his people secure? Well, I'm not sure if it says that he makes all of his people secure, but definitely David as his person is feeling secure because of, of God. So I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to ask myself, is this principle timeless? Yeah, I mean, it's timeless. It, it, it plays out here. Um, Is this principle transcend culture, gender, age, status? Yeah, I think this idea that God is trustworthy and that he makes his people secure does transcend any culture or gender. It's, It's something that's timeless for all of us. Then I'm going to ask the question, is it harmonious with the rest of Scripture? And this is where I can start to ask, okay, was this just for David? Is David special? Is David different because he was a king or a prophet or a priest as David was? Is this really just a a prophetic psalm about who Jesus is going to be? Or does this apply to my life? Can I count myself as God's chosen people? And as you grow in your ability to understand the principles of Scripture, as you grow in your knowledge of God's Word, He might bring to mind something that will help you know and understand understand if these things connect. So as I'm still exploring that principle, perhaps I go to my concordance and I look up the word trust, or I can go to a, a tool like BibleStudyTools.com, which is a free online search engine that you can use to understand where and some of these principles might come from. And I look up the word trust. And as I do, I'm asking myself the question, can I apply this very personal prayer to my own life? Is it true, the principle, that for God's people, He makes their, their way secure? And I look to John 14, where Jesus told his followers, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my father's house. There are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you, that there is this place of security that is accessible to us all. So of course, I'm always going to hold it lightly, but I'm like, yeah, I think that I can back that principle up. It is harmonious with the rest of scripture. And then that last filter that I'm going to ask is, is this relevant? And I don't know about you. But that feels incredibly relevant to my life. This idea that God is trustworthy and he makes his way secure, he makes his people's way secure, and that God provides his people with counsel and instruction. So I've written down these big theories that I think are are backed up by the text. And that's kind of the end of question three. Now, there's a lot of principles in a passage, there's a lot of principles in a book of scripture. Um, You're not going to necessarily get all of the principles at one time, but maybe you look for one or two things that you can say, I think this passage is telling me this. And then you move to that final question of the alive method. What does it mean for me? If God has revealed this principle to me today, I want to ask myself, why is God revealing this to me today? How does this apply to my personal circumstances, to the stuff that was on my mind before I opened my Bible, to the stuff that's going to come right back to mind as soon as I close my Bible, to the challenges or work that I have in front of me today? And now I'm going to apply this passage to my circumstances. And honestly, I think in this passage it could fit in any of those three big buckets that we talked about in the last episode. This passage can lead us to encouragement. We can feel like, okay, uh, verse seven tells me that my Lord counsels me, and my at night my heart instructs me. Like I can trust, I can trust that God is speaking to me even when I don't perceive it. So I might just feel really encouraged. I might find in verse eight, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Lord, that I can not be shaken because I know the author and pioneer of my faith, who is Jesus Christ. I just might feel encouraged by that as I go into my day, and I might thank God for that. Perhaps I actually feel a conviction as I read this because I realize that I'm not doing some of the things that are listed here. In verse 6, David talks about the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Perhaps I feel a conviction where I ask myself, do I believe that the boundaries that God has placed in my life are pleasant? Am I I trusting that they are pleasant, even in the hard circumstances? Am I trusting that God has placed me in a specific place at a specific time for a specific purpose? Am I living my life like that? And if you have that feeling, that's conviction. That's God actually leading you in his kindness to repentance. Many times, what I find that I have to repent from is not necessarily the big things that we think of as like those big sins out there, but what I'm actually repenting of is just a a wholehearted lack of trust in who God is, a, a choice to not be joyful in what God's given. I mean, those are also sin because I'm not living into the fullness of what God's calling me to do. I'm not following my leader, Jesus, the way that he lived his life. So I might be led to conviction. I might be confessing to God, you know what? I have been holding these boundary lines in contempt. My life feels too small. My life feels too big, whatever that thing is. And I might find myself coming to God to, repent of that. And then the third thing, of course, is worship. And a psalm like this can always lead us to worship. To just think about this idea that God has intentionally gone before you, that He's laid a portion out for you, that He's prepared a cup of blessing for you, that He's made your way secure, that He has actually determined um, a place for you to be, and that it's a pleasant place. That God deems you so worthy that He wants to counsel you through the night in your heart, that you cannot be shaken because of God. That the the most important part of you, your soul, the deepest and most essential element of who you actually are is 100% secure because of your Savior Jesus, that the thing that will remain into eternal life is secure in him. If that does not make you praise, then I'm not sure you were listening. I mean, this is an incredible truth, and that's a lot of what happens, you guys, when we're in Scripture. When you're in Scripture for yourself, you just are like, wow. I mean, worship to me is just wow, whatever that looks like for you. So take that with you today. That's it. We did the whole thing. Step one, two, three, four. We're going to take it and we're going to put legs on it. We're going to run with it into our day. Get going. I will talk with you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens, and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunis.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Two weeks old, in an iron lung, which is, you know, like a sealed oxygen unit, um, fighting for my life. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe properly, I, and apparently, I didn't make a sound. Um, from the day I was born because my lungs were all messed up. That's Martin Smith of Delirious sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshippers. Join us weekly to hear songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.